It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. As always, my name is David, and I hope everybody has had a good week. Uh, I know we sure have. I have my partner in crime, Mr. Chris Craig, on the other line. How are you, Chris? Doing well. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Uh, it's been unseasonably cold down here for, for you and I uh, this year. You know, we got one inch of snow and everything shut down uh, down here earlier this week. Yeah, I barely got a dusting. Uh, barely. Okay. That's barely. odd. Usually so that, you, you they're use... predicting it. All right. So this week we have a, a, a cool guest on here. His name is Aaron Martell. And uh, I first discovered him when uh, our buddy Steve Wright from the Potter Than Hell podcast started tweeting or posting stuff on Facebook about a pad- podcast called Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews or R4, as uh, I think uh, some people call it. And Aaron has a really, it's a really good podcast. It's very eclectic. Like um, he'll have two or three guests on and they'll, they'll just talk about an album and They've talked about Lou Reed. They've talked about Megadeth. They've talked, you know, they got one I think going to come up soon about Sly and the Family Stone. So it's it's kind of all over the place. It's one of the reasons I like it because Chris and I listen to a lot of different styles of music, and so it's always good to uh, uh, see what pops up on there. If you don't like one week, just wait the next week, and it'll be something that you like. And I was lucky enough to be a guest on this podcast with uh, Ray Permy, and we talked about uh, the Black Crow's Southern Harmony and Musical Companion. So uh, I enjoyed this. So welcome to the show, Aaron. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So, uh, New Year, uh, is it treating you good, or, or would you want to do over? Well, prior to recording, we talked a little bit about this, but I'm struggling coming out of the gate. Uh, <laughs> podcast has been a little bit of traction, uh, and I'm dealing a little bit with the COVID problem, but uh, I'm feeling a lot better, and so hopefully we can turn things around and get the podcast back on track. So why don't you give us just a brief history of how uh, the podcast started? Because it's been around a while. Yeah. Well, I discovered podcasts, I think, around 2013 or so. It was, uh, I, I don't know if you guys uh, listened to the podcast or if you guys know Ken Mills at all. Anyway, I discovered this, and I, I'm a huge fan of the band Kiss. So I just stumbled across it on the Internet, and uh, I listened to it. I thought it was great. I went back and 
listened to the older episodes and that kind of started this avalanche of me discovering podcasts. And of course, I'm a huge music fan. And I, as I'm listening to these podcasts, I'm thinking, boy, I like this. I think I think this is something I could do. And I kept putting it off for a couple of years. What am I going to do? How am I going to structure it? And uh, by the time I was ready to go, I'm like, OK, I want to do an album reviews show. I don't want to focus on one band. I just want to review whatever album I want to do. It doesn't matter if it's uh, funk, soft rock, hard, you know, in the rock spectrum. But it, it, it could be anything from soft rock to heavy metal. That was my idea. The thought process was like, you remember those old Rolling Stone reviews like you'd read in the Rolling Stone magazine? It was kind of I wanted it to be sort of like an audio version of that with my own sensibilities and maybe throwing a, a, a few jokes here and there, you know, try not to be so serious about it, but an actual music criticism show. So by the time I was ready to start doing it, there were t podcasting had exploded. And, you know, we're talking 2017. So there are tons of shows that kind of do what we do. So I just said, well, I'm just going to put my put it out there. And, you know, I took a little bit from this podcast that I liked. I took a little bit from that podcast that I like kind of blended it all together through my own sensibilities and came up with what we're doing now. How, uh, how do you come up with some of your guests? Is it just people submit it to you or? Well, I like to think a little bit that our podcast is unique, that we will take, anybody can come on the show. Literally anybody can. If you're a fan of an album, I, I always say to the listeners, contact us. If there's a particular album you'd like to come on the show and review. So often now that we've become a little bit more well-known because we, we've, I've also put ourselves out there a little bit more. We've reached out to other podcasts like your, you know, like this one and, mm -hmm. and such. So we've got a little bit more exposure, and uh, so people are contacting us more to do albums that they want. So that's basically what's going on now. People contact us. We want to do this album, okay? And I'll set it up. You know, and I don't. There's not many that I would reject. I, I think I've only actually rejected one album that I just say I, I can't do that one. I just can't do that one. Wait, wait, Other than that, wait, which in sync album was that? Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, will, will you do an album that you've never heard? Oh, yeah, I do all the time. And uh, I do things that uh, I, I've done. If it's an album, I do a lot of lot of research I, myself personally. I listen to the record over and over and over because I don't like going into it. I don't like listen to it once and then just go into the show. I listen to it a lot. Make sure that, I, you know, I, I'm familiar with the album so that I can give like an honest review of it. Because, you know, you listen to an album and sometimes it takes time for it to sink in. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not just listen, unless it really grabs you right away, and a lot of albums don't. Some some have to sink in over time. So I like to give it that that breathing period for for you know before I go into the review. One of the things that I like about it is you let everybody else talk about the song, and then you give your final your review of the song. But it's it's like you said, it's like a music critic's review. Uh, yeah, uh, which is I've always liked it. And of course, you know, you throw some zingers in there every now and then. And uh, you got my boy Ray Permi on there. Uh, decent yep. amount. He's a he's a good Crow Stones guy. Uh, what what's kind of the most oddball album y'all done? The one that just pops into my head right now. I did a Linda Ronstadt album, and it's it's not that she's out of the realm. I mean, I, I actually am a fan of hers, but the particular album we did, we I did it, and I did it with another uh, podcaster. His name's uh, Jesse Jackson from the set. He's actually a Bruce Springsteen. He does a Bruce Springsteen podcast. Uh, set lusting Bruce is the name of it. <laughs> and, but the album that he picked was one of those mid '80s synthy, uh, mushy pop. Boy, I just I did not like the album. So I'm reviewing with it, and I'm, I'm trying to tell him this, and I'm I'm trying to be as gentle about it as I can because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make him upset or anything. But it turned out really good because you know, some sometimes it's the best the better episodes are the ones where you don't 
see eye to eye with it. You know what I mean? So you have a little bit of uh, conflict, a little back and forth with it. We know what's funny is Dave and I always, we, we've known each other now for over 20 years, I guess. And, and we always thought that our music was tastes were so in line. And we started doing this podcast and I thought, man, if there's any, if there's one thing I've learned, we're not nearly as close as I thought. <laughs> mm. Because even if it's an artist we both love, he's going to like an album that I think is one of their worst. And if it's, if it's an album we both love, he's going to pick the track as his favorite that I think may be the worst. Right. So it's, it does. That it, could even happen today. Yeah. With, with this. So, hey, but, yeah. but I'll give Chris credit. He's got, I'm obsessed with the cure, like obsessed with the cure. Now when the uh, Spotify stuff came out, I was in the 0.05% listeners in the world. Uh, and he got me in a gaslight anthem big time. So, uh, and, and Brian yeah. Fallon. So I, I thank him for that. But, uh, Hey Aaron, um, I do one have of my guest. Uh, one of my get, one of my co-hosts, Ray Zimmer. He's a huge Cure fan too, so I'm sure they're going to pop up on the podcast at some point. I, I am very unfamiliar with them. So oh man, it's something I, I, I I'm curious about them myself. They're 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 amazing. They're absolutely amazing. Yeah. So Aaron, I do have some bad news for you. Uh, don't think anything less of us. But Chris and I are like the only two podcasters that don't like Kiss. <laughs> i'm sorry and we've tried we both tried yeah hey I, I get it i get it i don't slam anybody who for, for their opinions you know even if yeah. they're wrong well absolutely you know i have this saying that I, and i've said this several times on the podcast here's the thing about music it is subjective the, yes. i don't have to like it and i've always said if you uh, david mentioned nsync it was without which nsync album if nsync is your band man play that and play it loud and love it just don't do it around me, and, and, and we're good. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Aaron, before we get into the, the meat of the podcast, tell everybody where they can find yours. Anywhere. Anywhere you can find podcasting. Like, we've been around long enough that all the aggregators have picked us up. Like, we're, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, you, you name it, we're out there. Okay, cool. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Like I said, I look forward to every Friday. That's every Friday when it drops, right? Yes, yeah. although now... In 2021, we're going to be going bi-weekly, so it's going to be every other Friday. Okay. But uh, but yes, yep. Yeah, and there's. I may a, have to, I may have to contact you and pick pick a little gym that I think might kind of throw a curve at you. Sounds good. Hey, Chris, <laughs> Chris would love to do a Misfits album with you. He loves a Misfits. Yep. <laughs> We've done one Misfits episode. Yep. Which okay. album? Which album? Um, Static Age. Oh, okay. nice. Yep. And I didn't know them that well. I only I knew of them more than than I knew their music. So that was that was something I had to discover. And that's what's common. Yeah, yeah, people people go. I mean, people buy their Misfits shirts and they just like the imagery. But it, it's um, same way that a Kiss fan falls yeah. in love with the music. Not just the, it's not just the imagery. Right. I love the Misfits for the music. I I, I could care less about the Crimson Ghost. I sure, mean, it looks I cool. Knew I knew care less. I knew the band Danzig before yeah. I knew the Misfits. Uh-huh. So yeah. Well, I, like I said, I love coming on there, and, and me and Ray Permy were geeking out uh, on the uh, on that Southern Harmony podcast. That was fun I, because. We have we have int- intentionally strayed from doing that album on State of America because we want a member of the band to do it with us. So mm-hmm. uh, that was good to actually uh, get on there and talk it. And we uh, I don't know if you saw we interviewed Mark Ford yesterday. It that just posted right. Yeah. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm gonna. And kind yeah. of the the newsworthy thing was I'd always heard that he turned down Slash when Izzy left, and uh, he said, "Yeah, I, you know, I just signed a contract with the Crows." And then he said Axel tried to get him in the band during Chinese Democracy. And wow. uh, so that nobody, n- nobody had heard the Chinese democracy part. So, but he was, he had said, you know, look in the eighties when, when we were all coming up, he said, you know, 
I was the only really guitar player around there that wasn't playing hair metal. Um, you know, and his practice space was right next door to Guns N' Roses in 86. So he said, yes, yeah, Slash and I go way back. And, it, and he played on Izzy's album, Uncredited. The Crows wouldn't let him get credit for it. I didn't um, know that. Yeah, but uh, anyway. The Juju Hounds album? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, so, yeah. the song Somebody Knocking, the lead song. All right. So, But uh, anyway, uh, enough about the Black Crows. Um, this week we're going to talk about uh, a band that Chris is a big fan of, and, and Aaron's on here obviously because he's a big fan of, and um, a band, uh, an artist that I've really tried to get into. Like, and Chris, like, burnt years ago, burned me every CD he had of theirs, and and I have genuinely tried to get into Bruce Springsteen. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll get to some of my issues with him because I'm sure they're going to pop up at some point. But uh, that there is some material I like, but. Since Chris is a big fan, real big fan of him, I wanted to do this, and, and I had gotten to know Aaron a little bit and kind of asked him, like, what are some of your favorite bands? And he threw the boss out, so I said, oh, I got a good one uh, for you. Chris is actually was actually on the uh, Springsteen channel one oh, time. Wow. Yeah, I did the, the You're the Boss. You know what I'm talking about? It comes on, and you get to pick your five songs, and so I did, I did that years ago. That's cool. Yeah. So, it, like I said, Chris has talked about Springsteen before on here. Kind of how did you get into him, Aaron? Well, the very first time I can remember, like, I knew this was a Springsteen song. So this has to be 1980. It was Hungry. The song Hungry Heart was played on the radio, and that caught my attention. I liked that song. I'm a 10-year-old kid, but I, I liked it. It was catchy. Um, and then, of course, I got into him, though, really, with, with Born in the USA, like a lot of fans did you know there was it was a humongous album like seven i think top 10 singles off of it and i just got on the gravy train with that you know i, I got right on board with with him and, and after i discovered him i went back and got his older albums and then i just that was it i was a mega fan after that and then you know whenever he puts out an album i'm gonna pick it up i'm just i'm, I'm a huge fan of his how many times have you seen him <laughs> once really <laughs> yeah yeah, I should probably turn in my Springsteen uh, <laughs> fan card now. Yeah, you have people who've seen him, you know, dozens, hundreds of times. Yeah, I've only seen him once, and it was extremely memorable, though. It was really great. What, what tour? A, uh, Wrecking Ball. Oh. So it was, yeah. you know, the one right after – the first one, I think, after Clemens, after Clarence passed. And uh, it was emotional, and it was – it was at uh, Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Mass., where the Patriots play. Gigantic stadium, you know, 60-something thousand people were there. And yet he makes it feel like it's for you. I, it's hard to explain. Seeing Bruce and the East Street Band live is, like, people almost compare it to a religious experience. He almost comes on like a preacher. And you just, you get swept up in it. And it's, it, it, he, he, he makes, like, he, he, 60,000 people are at this show, and he, he makes, it sounded like he was singing it to me. That's the, only, that's the best way I can describe it. Chris, how many times have you seen him? I've seen him four. I, uh, the first time I saw him, a uh, buddy and I were going, to, we were going to New York. We're just making a trip out of it, and, and going to see Springsteen was an excuse to just get to New York and, and have a little trip, little guy's trip. And we went to the, uh, the final shows at, at uh, Giant Stadium. We went to the uh, the show that we got. This was before he announced he was going to do an album each night. So we didn't we weren't picking and choosing which album. We just got what we got, and we got born in the USA. And um, it was it was it was special, you know, to be because the way I looked at it, it was in his it was in his backyard. It was in Jersey, and um, he played Jersey Girl that night. And seeing all the the local 
women there just go nuts was amazing. <laughs> Seeing him play my hometown was, uh, the, I mean, just the emotion that was in him. You, you believed every word. You felt it. You, you felt that it was sincere. It wasn't just, um, he wasn't just singing a hit song. He was singing something that was personal. It, and whether he, whether he felt the, the magnitude of it being in New Jersey or not, I don't know, but it, he made it look like it. And um, special show and it, you know, Clarence was on, I got to see him. And then I went about maybe a month later, I went and saw him in same tour. I saw him in Nashville and he did born to run. And then I saw the wrecking ball and high hopes tour. I think one was Nashville and one was Tampa. Well, one of the things I've always respected about him is, you know, his shows. And I'm, I'm a fan obviously of bands that like vary their set list. You know, I'm, not a fan of going to, I don't, like, no offense to Kiss, but like you go see him in Chicago, you go see him in New York, it's the same set list, you know. The, for years. Yeah, you know. Not like, just, not, not, yeah. They've had the same set list for like the past 15 years. It, Crazy. Like the Crows, one year on one tour, played 220 different songs. So, I mean, you know, I, I like stuff like that. But Springsteen varies his set list up and he plays, you know, sometimes close to four hours. So, first of all, kudos for him doing that. Second of all, you get your money's worth, and not every show is the same, which is why people go see him a hundred times. You know? Uh, yeah. I, and I, uh, go ahead. No, no, you. I was just going to say, the, the thing about it, too, is, and there's not many artists that, that, uh, that do this, but Springsteen, when he's on stage, looks like there's no place he'd rather be. And honestly... I think it looks that way because it is that way. And you look at somebody, okay, I I love the Stones. Um, Aaron, you're a big Kiss fan, and, and we're not just keeping on picking on Kiss. I'm, I'm trying to be bring a major, <laughs> major artist that, that do that have a lot of really well-known songs. They get out, and they put in their hour and 15 to an hour and a half, and they're done. And when you're of the level of Springsteen, you don't have to play three and a half hours. It doesn't matter that you once did it. You can still do two hours. And people are still going to come. Same amount of people are going to come. Springsteen does it. Paul McCartney does it. When you're at that age and you've been doing it that long, you're not playing those kind of sets for no, any other reason than you want to and you love, I love it. it. And I don't think it's about the money. Yeah. I got to say this about the specific show that I saw. This is, and it's a great point that you brought up that he varies his set list. And a lot of artists don't do that. So you're going into the show thinking, what, what am I going to get tonight? You know, what, what's going to play for me? You know, that, that's the thought process going into it. So the show that I saw them, it was in August. I think it was 2012. And they play for one right before their encore. They played the song called Jungle Land, which is off of Born to Run. And people, Springsteen fans who are listening to this must know it's a it's a very long, epic song, but it's got a gigantic saxophone solo. It probably I would have to say, I think most people think that it was Clarence Clemens' greatest saxophone solo. Well, he had passed, and his nephew, um, Jake Clemens, had joined the E Street Band. He's, he's now their sax player. And he had they had only played this song once, I think, in Sweden. So basically, I saw the American tour debut of Jungle Land with Jake Clemens on sax. And he nailed it, but it was you, the emotion... Because most of the crowd there knew how momentous this was. I certainly did. And I was deeply moved by it. You know, 
So you get moments like that in his shows that I think you don't get with some other artists because I saw that and that was a special thing that you don't get, I think, from a lot of people. Like, we'll pick on Kiss again. They put on the same show every night. They're great. They're a great show. But, okay, I know what they're going to do now. I know exactly what song they're going to play next. Paul's going to fly across the stage now. Gene's going to spit blood at this point. You know what they're going to be doing. This was like, wow, I got Jungle Land. So that's what makes his show so special. I hey, didn't they do, and it may not have been particularly Jungle Land, but didn't they, and it's, like I said, I saw that tour, and I really can't remember, but it seemed like they had, um, when Jake would play, at least on one particular song, didn't they put a light on just where Clarence would normally stand? Yes, and uh, where Danny on the yeah. organ. Where Dan- uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, they did I don't that. remember. I don't even remember them doing it with Danny, uh, but I did remember they did that on that tour for sure. Um, yep. That and that was that was cool. You felt the loss. Mm-hmm. And then too, when they do the uh, when they play Tenth Avenue, yeah, you know, with when they get to the big man, you know that that remember I remember they just stopped when yes. they did that on that tour. They just come. And they probably do it every time now when they play. They just completely stop. Yeah. For like five minutes really cool. and just let the crowd roar. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. That's what, yeah. And then they played a, you know, a little montage on the video screen of Clarence. And you, again, just an emotional moment. The, the, the concert was full of them. And that's something that Bruce brings to his music and he brings to his shows that I think you don't get with, again, you don't get with a lot of other artists. Well, see, when I, I got, it was, it was special too when I saw New York because I didn't, tell this part of it um you know Aaron you said how you got into him I I didn't get into him late until later years but the first cassette tape I ever remember getting as a kid was born in the USA and I did love it but it never went past that because by this time when when the next album was coming out at this point you're it's 87 and give me my poison you know give me my motley fruit and, and that's that's what I was all about. That was me too. Yeah. So it, yeah. It, yeah. So I, what happened is, as I got more into music and I got more diverse, as as we talked about, you are. I uh, I don't even remember when it was. It it, it was probably mid. I don't know. Let's call it give or take around two thousand five. I'll say. I went out and I um I just decided to buy a copy of Nebraska because I knew it was different. I knew it was just acoustic. I knew people worshipped the album, and I loved it. And so I thought, all right, I gotta check out other stuff. And I think the next one I got was, I think it may have been Born to Run and then The River, and then it was just, all right, I'll take the, this one, this one, this yeah. one. And um, not long after, I'm flying to New York and seeing him. And that at that point, hook, line, and sinker, I'm sold, I'm obsessed, and I've been a huge, huge, huge fan ever since. All right, Aaron, let me ask you this. If somebody's listening and they're like, you know, obviously I've heard of Bruce Springsteen, but what album from the 70s would you choose to introduce somebody to Bruce Springsteen? Well, my opinion, it's got to be Born to Run. And I think that I, on my podcast, I'm doing Bruce's catalog one album at a time from the very beginning. We've done the first three. So Born to Run is his third album. It was a very important album. It was it was an album that he he had to. It was a, kind of a make or break album at the time. He was uh, his first two albums didn't sell very well, and his his back was kind of to the wall. He, you know, there, he, there's actually a real threat of him getting thrown off the record label. So he had to come up with something important, and he did. He it's it's a, a very dramatic album. Uh, 
you know, it, it has a, a lot of emotional peaks and valleys to it, and it flows very, very nicely. And it's got hits on it that people know, like Born to Run is, who doesn't know that song? Everybody knows Born to Run. A lot of people are probably even sick of it. I personally am not, but I understand somebody who would say, I can't stand that song. But it's also got Thunder Road on it, 10th Avenue Freeze out. It's the album. It's got Jungle Land on it. It kind of gives you the whole spectrum of what Bruce brings to the table musically. So I would definitely would say if you've got to start somewhere with Bruce in the 70s, that's probably the way to go. What about you, Chris? I'd have to agree. You know, I, I wouldn't because I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't go with one of the first two records. Uh, I, I definitely wouldn't. And I, I don't even, I'm a fan of them, but it's they're 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 definitely not they're not the good starting point. Um, so I, so then you're left with Born to Run or Darkness, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Uh, Darkness uh, might be my favorite Bruce Springsteen album, but I got to go Born to Run because of the song. I think that um, even though Springsteen and, and music fans, not just Springsteen, music fans know, I think for the most part, know Thunder Road, I still feel like the the casual music listener has probably never heard it. And I think that's one that they could identify one with one, a song they could identify with, one that they would like. Um, songs like uh, Night, um, I think that I think it's got some songs uh, that people would really enjoy on that one. All right, so what is a later day album that you would suggest for people, Chris, to get into Bruce? All right, well, now if you're talking, what's the next like great thing to get into of, of last great records? It's not as late because '84 was not that far away from '75. So I got to go born in, you know, born in the USA. Uh, like Aaron said, seven, you know, seven top tens. I mean, it was a massive, massive hit. But if you want to get into later day, like I said, an album to go to, Magic. I mean, for me, hands down, Magic. Uh, I know that, I know that the um, the one that's going to get all the praise and that people people really love is um, I, I, why am I struggling with album titles? Um, going after nine eleven. The Rising. The Rising. Yeah. The Rising is yeah. the one that everybody's going to, that, that they're going to name. It's going to get all the critical acclaim, all the fanfare. But I felt like, and I still feel like, Magic was, it was the best record since 84, since Born in the USA. It was a rock record, uh, just full of piss and vinegar. I loved it. Aaron, what still about you? I do too. I, I agree. I, I, for me, that's, it's between The Rising and, magic as his best post 2000s work um but i was going to recommend an album for a you know a new fan definitely magic magic it almost has a vintage throwback kind of sound to it it almost sounds like an earlier springsteen album it goes through all the moods like you said it's a rock album the e street band is prominent on it and it's uh yeah in my opinion it's also it's it well actually i really like the new one too but but uh i but uh, but magic, yeah, I, I would say that's probably his strongest. Well, it's funny too. I mean, I know we're going all over the map here, but um, yeah. letter to you, I think in time, give me as years have passed and all, I think I'm going to put that in absolutely in the same class as the rising and, and magic. And I do too. It could it could advance one of them. It really could. I think it's that good of a record. I and do too. You know what's remarkable is I, as I, I tell people, 
there's so many bands that I love, the, the bands that have been around for, for years. Um, I'm not the hugest fan of this band, but I, I'm, I've got to find somebody to pick on. It won't be Kiss. I'm going to go to you too. If you love you too, then you love all those old records. They don't really make good records anymore. Um, and there's a lot of bands like that. Uh, and I look at a band that like the, the, even a newer band, the, the band, the killers, it's like, they can't put out a good record anymore. Bruce Springsteen have been putting out records for this long and his fans still love them. Not because it's Springsteen because they're great. I'm willing to tell you when an album, if an album, if he puts an album that I think sucks, human touch, I'm going to say it sucks. Human touch is a bad record, but he still puts out great music and, that in and of itself is just amazing to me. Agreed. All right. So what I like you too, though. <laughs> I like, old, I like, I like old you too. Yeah. So. It's, it's, it, yeah. and I do too. And yeah. I said, I'm not like the most massive fan, but I do like everything. Yeah. Really up through Octoon Baby. And then there's a couple of things like, oh, you can't leave behind all that. But I know this isn't YouTube podcast. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So what we're going to do is I've asked these two, uh, boss nuts to, uh, rank their top 10 songs and i know uh both of you have had problems doing this and at the end just for the sake of humor we'll i'll read off mine and uh, you guys can laugh at me so and you know <laughs> you know what david i'm gonna interrupt you i even remember that and you did say that i completely forgot that i had to rank but i can i can do this as he's going through this and it may be better that i'm gonna do it ad lib i'm gonna do it. it it's the first thing that comes to mind it may actually work out better that way Okay. Well, Aaron, you're our guest. Why don't you start us off? Okay. First, I have to tell you my thought process for doing this list. If I picked my 10 favorite Bruce Springsteen songs, favorite all time, they probably would come from two or three records. So I didn't want to do that. I wanted to kind of broaden the list. So what I did was, is I went through each album, picked my favorite at the, at the moment song off of it, and then picked off of that list, I picked 10. So this isn't actually my favorite 10 all-time songs, but these are 10 songs I really, really like. And I think that, uh, you know, somebody who doesn't know Bruce, this would give you a, a good overview of his career. Okay. So, so I'm going to start off with his second album. It's a 1973, The Wild, The Innocent, and The East Street Shuffle. The track is called Rosalita, Come Out Tonight. And I think that it, Bruce's first two albums are... The songs are longer, they're rambling, they're very influenced by Bob Dylan with the wordplay and such. This particular song kind of, it, it goes over seven minutes, it has multiple sections, it's got tempo shifts, it's sweeping, it's cinematic, it's almost like a mini rock opera in itself. The E Street Band is nearly assembled, the players are just going for it, it's great sax work from Clarence Clemens, the lyrics are about a young musician who's trying to convince his girl Rosie to run off with him. You know, her parents be damned. He just got a big advance from the record company and he's confident that he's going to make it. You know, it's designed as a crowd pleaser and it always goes well over. It always goes well. It always goes over well live. Um, so I, I want to start off with this one. It's a fairly well-known song of his, but it's also very, I think, uh, representative of the first two records. Major, major, like, that that's a major crowd getter too. You know, I, th I think it was uh, I think it may have been the the high hope. I think it may have been the high hopes tour. He was ending all the shows with that, or at least several of them. Um, right at the end. Um, yeah, I I I do love the song. I love 
like I said, I like the first two records. Um, I've got something off this record as well, but um, this is a this is when you're talking about telling the story too. This is a, this is definitely a storytelling song. A, a lot of them about running away were in those, especially in those first few records. First and this two, is yep. this kind of this kind of starts it. All right, Aaron, what's your next one? Okay, so my for my second one, this is a big. We we've, we've already mentioned this song in pocket, but there's. It's undeniable. This is probably, gun to my head, it's probably my favorite Bruce Springsteen song, or it's in my top three for sure. Uh, it's Thunder Road off of 1975's Born to Run. As I said before, he was desperate. His back was to the wall. Uh, and then he opens his third album with this. It's piano-driven. I mean, famously, all the songs on Born to Run were written on piano, so it's got an unusual structure. It just kind of rolls out there and it flows. It doesn't have like a typical verse-chorus structure. But the songwriting is a little bit more focused than the first two albums. And then Bruce is able to use his gifts for like dynamics and dramatics. The song just tells another story. He's a master of the story song, too. That's another thing about Springsteen. And he's trying to convince his girl to leave town with him again. It's a, a, Escape. I think you mentioned that, Chris. Mm-hmm. It's a big, big theme for him in his early career. Um, you know, he sees how shitty and humdrum his hometown has become. He just wants to escape. And it all builds to this coda section that takes you away after Bruce proclaims it's a town full of losers and I'm pulling out of here to win. Uh, Bruce himself, he called this track an invitation to the album, which is arguably his masterpiece. I would put forth that Born to Run is his masterpiece. And for my money, Thunder Road is one of the greatest songs, I mean, ever written by anybody. I agree. And I think that Born to Run, too, is where he really started to change uh, is... The, the lyrics, he was always a great lyricist, but he basically cut his words in half. You know, he, he was like, he tried to get as many words out as he could on those first couple of records and he toned it down. And this one is, yeah, I mean, we'll get into my list, but I, I probably have to put this as my favorite song of his as well. It's funny too. One thing I, I is either today or yesterday I was driving home and I had it on the Springsteen channel, and and they had they played the the acoustic demo version, and it, it's David. I know you probably haven't heard it, but I don't know if you've ever heard the uh, the acoustic original version of Born in the USA. But it, it's I not have, it's different. It, it completely it's different a, song. It's just about as drastic of a yeah. difference as that one is. Um, and it it would be an okay song if it if it had stayed that way. So the way he changed it, and 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 I don't really know the story of that one. I, I've read his book. I don't know what made that change into that. I don't know if if Landau helped with that. I, I don't know. But what they brought, what he brought into the studio was just a masterpiece. Well, Chris, why don't you give us two songs? Well, I, I'm going to just piggyback off of that one because, uh, like I said, if I got to pick, if gun to my head right now, and I got to pick my favorite one, I, I'm I'm going Thunder Road. Um, next and apologies, I didn't do, I'm kind of just shooting off the hip. I didn't do, I I think Aaron, you're so used to this as you break down records and have such, you're going to destroy me with the, um, (laughs) the, the, the telling of the, of the songs, but I'm going to go to one that has a few songs uh, because I fell into your trap. What you said, the trap you might fall into, which is just picking all sort of just a few records, but this is the first of several off this album. Of darkness on the edge of town. I'm with Badlands, and you know it's funny if if it were just the 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 rec the album version of Badlands, it wouldn't be my second favorite 
and it might not be my top 10, but I can't escape that live version. And, and when I say the live version, anybody that's, that's not real familiar, like they're going to say, oh, I'm going to go listen to the live version, and they happen to put on something from a 78 tour or an 80 tour, you're not going to get what I'm talking about. You need to listen to it's it's um it's just special, the crowd involvement. And everybody gets so amped up during that song. And oddly enough, as big of a show pleaser as that is, usually when he when he plays that, which is often, it's pretty early in the set, which always kind of surprised me. I think that would be a great one to get one of the last couple of songs. But um yeah, I, I, I just love Badlands. Oh, I do too. Um this is one that kicks off dark. You mentioned darkness on the edge of town might be your favorite Springsteen record. It's right up there too. I, I probably have three or four that, you know, on any given day, you know how that goes. Like what your favorite album is. Uh, darkness is definitely in the mix there. Um, th this was also on my list badly. As a matter of fact, this was the next song I was going to mention badlands. Um, so darkness is a different is again. Bruce has a way of his albums are always have like a different vibe or a feel from album to album. And at this point he was really starting to hone in on making his records have a, a theme, you know, an overriding theme that he would follow through with all the songs on darkness. It kind of means what he, what it says. Darkness. It, it has a darker vibe. The songs are a little bit, there's some hurt in them. There's a little before his, his earlier records were like young man, escape uh let's go they're, they're they're a little bit more optimistic this one has a little bit more edge he's 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 rounding it off a little bit it's not it, it, like i said there's there's darkness to them there's a little bit more hurt and it, it was reflecting on what was going on in his life at the time he was having all kinds of legal issues with his manager and it, it, it's a very long story but anyway uh badlands is, a, is a, another rocking tune it's got that classic e street sound big sing-along chorus the words, you know, how the world, how life can get people down, you know, poor man want to be rich, rich man want to be king, and a king ain't satisfied till he rules everything. But the thing is, too, even in Bruce's darkest songs, a lot of them, there's a little glimmer of hope. And here he, he's holding out hope for something better. You know, he's looking to rise above his circumstances. He's still clinging to something. And this is absolutely one of the great Springsteen anthems. And you mentioned the live version. It, it, it's also fantastic. All I can think of is, oh, 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 the whole crowd is doing this. And you just get swept up in it. You know, there's a, there's a performance. Um, I, think it's in, uh, I think it's in the Netherlands that I've heard where it's like he can't get them to stop. Yeah. Even after the song's over, because they, they do that, and then it plays a little bit more, and then they kind of do And it's like the crowd will not stop. And they they, they, they kicked back in Europe. They yeah. kicked back into it because the crowd was so in. And, <laughs> and another thing, too, about this one is, and I I, I think I, when you first started, you were about to say something about it, but uh, Max Weinberg's drumming, too. It's just, it's it's killer. That It's explosive in the song. Absolutely explosive. The Mighty Max. Yep. <laughs> All right, Aaron, what are your next two? Okay, so now I'm going to move on from Darkness of the Edge of Town to The River, which this is another one of those albums that occasionally this is my favorite one, depending on the day of the week. I'm going to go with the title track. Uh, it's from 1980. This, to me, is an excellent example of Bruce's mastery of the story song. Uh, the River came from another creative explosion from Bruce, but this song feels small and personal. It's inspired by, and it, because it was inspired by his sister Virginia's life, and her husband, and it tells you know it tells the story of a guy who knocks up his high school sweetheart, so they're forced to marry young, and then the ensuing life struggles that they go through. 
there's a lot of bitterness and regret running through the song and the music just perfectly reflects that. You know, there's harmonica in it that kind of punctuates uh, the emotion to it. The band taps into this well. And then when Bruce's voice cracks, those memories come back to haunt me. It's really affecting to me. Uh, this has always been, this is, again, this is a top five Springsteen song for me. And I, you catch me on the right day. This is, this is my very favorite Springsteen song too. I mean, there's so many of them to pick from, but again, this one just, this one, if you catch me on the right day, this really, really deeply affects me. It's a top 10 one for me too. Yeah. That's uh, a great song. Chris? It is a storytelling, and that's one of the ones, too, where um, the river and um, an Independence Day, you know, and he started playing a lot of these on the on the earlier shows, but like the 78 show tours and all, but he, he does the classic vintage, which he doesn't do as much of these in the, on the newer shows. But Dave, you go listen to some of these old shows. He'll talk for two or three minutes before, <laughs> and the way he's telling the story, it's, you know, um, I, I think this more... In, in in line with Independence Day, but he's, I used to come home, my dad's sitting at the table, smoking cigarettes, sitting in the dark, and he just tells this whole story, and, and yeah, this one, um, this one was one that was more, yeah, it was more personal, it was more about, like, what you talk about, like his sister, something that he had experienced in, in his own life, um, yeah, it's it's a powerful, powerful song. It's funny too. You brought up Independence Day. I almost picked that because that one really that one affects me personally. I deeply connect to that one personally. You know the struggle of uh, getting along with your father. You know, and his. You know, he had a he had a rocky relationship with his father, and I connected to that big time. That almost made my list. Okay, yeah, it, it's and it's either either one of these songs we just talked about could have made mine. Um, this was this was really tough for me. Yeah. All right, Aaron. What's your next one? All right, so let's move on to the next one, Nebraska. You already mentioned this one, Chris. So the river has this big, huge, it's a full E Street Band album, and he goes through, like, all these different styles, and the river kind of gives you everything that Bruce does. So he scales back for Nebraska. Apparently that he he wasn't happy with the E Street versions of these songs, Um, apparently there was an electric Nebraska out there, which... uh, we're not even sure it actually exists. It's one of those, like, I, I I think it does. And they haven't just put it out yet. I hope that they do someday. But anyway, Bruce decided that he didn't like these versions as they were coming out. So he put out the demos, literally the demos that he recorded in his bedroom on a four track. So it sounds, you hear the tape hiss. It sounds terrible, but it was really emotionally affecting it. There's these acoustic numbers and all the songs on them, again, tell these little character sketches of these losers and criminals and people who are just going through hard times. So the song I'm picking off this album is another fairly well-known song. It's called Atlantic City. And the reason why I picked this one, I think this, if I was going to introduce something to the Nebraska album, this is the one I would pick because it's got the most catchy chorus. Um, it's a, got a dark vibe. Uh, I love that, you know, the, the, everything dies, baby. That's a fact. But maybe everything that dies someday comes back. Put your makeup on, fix your hair up pretty, and meet me tonight in Atlantic City. That's the chorus. The sounds rough. It's unpolished. Just Bruce on acoustic guitar with a little bit of vocal overdubs, harmonica, and there's a little mandolin in it, too. I love Nebraska. I think you mentioned that you did. I do. Did yeah. Crit- yeah. Mm-hmm. This is another one. Another one. It could be my favorite on a, any given day. But it showcases Bruce's roots in folk music. We know Woody Guthrie and storytelling traditions that he was inspired by. 
You know, and I think when I when I see the with me when I think of Bruce Springsteen album covers too, it does it's the most fitting cover in his discography. When you when you look at that, it it you don't always get that with album covers to where the the picture describes the album, and to me, it does. Yeah, it's stark. It's black and white, which is basically what how the songs feel. Are, yeah. Chris? Am I talking too much, guys? No, 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 no. You're, you're, right. you're great. You're great. Okay. Chris, so, you. All right, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go again to a um, my second darkness song, and I'm gonna go to Racing in the Street. Uh, here we go. Another. Um, he kind of revisits the. I mean, it's drag racing. I, um, I guess getting out of town again. But uh, this song, what pulls me in is the the piano um roy just plays a beautiful 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 piece and you know i think you mentioned uh, clarence's shining moment being jungle land in some ways that's roy's as well uh but i think what he does on this song it's just one of the most beautiful instrumental pieces and I, i've i've always loved this song um the the lyrics you know just about it's like it's like an old movie you know uh, an old like it's like a james dean movie uh, um just a drag racing movie uh really paints a good real story i mean the, the song itself paints a picture uh definitely one of my favorite songs of his oh i love that song i really do for all the reasons that you said chris but also it, it also has an emotional tug to it too it's it's him and his girl his woman his wife whatever it is and you know and she's burned out too you know i mean she, and and there's he feels the the pull of the street yet he's and he also you know the 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 pull of his woman and how his relationship is kind of flatlined or soured you know what i mean so there, there there's this song works on many many levels another thing that you brought up chris uh, sometimes his live versions really uh top the studio versions i love the studio version of the song but it fades out as the the, the big yo know, outro, the big coda, when you hear the full version live and it's it builds, it almost jumps in instrument by instrument. You hear the organ, the piano comes in, then the guitars comes in and it builds and builds and builds this huge crescendo and ends. Wow. You, you, you get uh, from my, well, I get really, really, it pulls me up and then the tension release is just wow that you don't get on the studio record because it fades out before it gets. Uh, so I would definitely say, the live like, there's that big uh, box set, the live 1975 to 85. The mm -hmm. live version on that record, I think, it destroys the studio version. But yeah, fantastic song, great, great pick. I love the version too that's on uh, the Promise. Yes, yeah, that, that's a good version. Now that's the uh, documentary about the making of the river. Is that right? Well, no, no. Uh, this is this one was these were songs though. These were songs that for uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town, I keep going back to this, this record, but these were songs that were during those sessions. And these are cut some of many, many, many songs that didn't make the album. I don't remember, Aaron. I, I mean, I want to say it's, I mean, it, it's not that, that there's not like eight songs got cut. It's, and it it's this double disc, The Promise, those aren't the only songs that got cut. It was song after song after song. From what and I understand, I'm sorry to interrupt. From what I understand, you recorded about 60 or 70 songs. That's what I was darkness. thinking. 
That's yeah. what I, I didn't want to give the number, but I knew it was getting closer to 100. Yeah. And it's funny, but there is a documentary about it. And when you hear, um, I believe, um, I'm trying to think who, um, one of them says that when they're talking about the track, the, the track listing says uh, it's not like, I don't know if I would have picked any of them, you know, the ones that he picked as far as the final version. And I know that, that uh, Van Zandt loves these songs on The Promise. And so you feel, you get the feeling when it's that special that it, the, the band did not agree with the songs that Springsteen picked. But I think the fact that so many of us love this record so much, I think he knew what he was doing. Yeah. But The Promise. I honestly yeah. think that he picked the songs that he did because he did want it to reflect his mind state at the time. You know, the struggling with, the, with Michael Pell, his manager. You know, he wasn't in a good place. At the time, and I think that's what he, like I said, he wanted to have themes for his albums at this point, and I think that's why he he selected those. That's my opinion why he selected those particular songs. But you're right. There's another broad spectrum. I mean, you know, you're writing 60s, 70s. The man was super prolific at the time. He wrote tons of songs for the River Sessions, tons of songs for Borns in the USA. He was a machine for a songwriting machine for a while there, and uh, but no, the promise is really good too. Well, um, because the night is on was on the promise. David, that that's that one's on there, and it was um, it was uh, it was Gary Talent, I believe it was saying he he just wouldn't have picked any of those songs if he was making the uh, track listing for it. But um, next one up for me, I'm gonna go off of I'm gonna go with one of the first two records. I'm gonna we're gonna revisit the Wild, the Innocent, and the East Street Shuffle, and I'm going with Fourth of July, Asbury Park, Sandy, often just referred to as Sandy. And I know that Aaron's going to be able to give us more of a story on this one, but Sandy was, it's, it's kind of, David, it, it's really just about his days on like the boardwalk and, and reflecting on the boardwalk in, in Asbury Park. And Sandy is not, my understanding is not a made up character. That was somebody who did exist. And I've heard this story, Aaron, and I know you can probably tell it, but there was somebody that was always on the boardwalk, Sandy. I'm not, was she, was she a fortune teller? Yeah, something like that. That that's the way I understand it too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he's brought up fortune tellers in his songs too, and I think it, it's based off of this person. Yeah, and I just think the this, this song is um. I just I, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna say this again. I know I keep saying about a lot of these songs, but I just think it's such a beautiful, beautiful song. I mean, it sounds like such a sweet little love song. Um. I just get I get sucked in with this. I, I love the way his voice sounds, especially towards the end when he com comes in with the, that, like that last time, Sandy, when he the way he says it. Um, so much, even for such an early record, so much of of an emotion, an emotional pull that's in that song. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that, Chris. You summed it up pretty well. I mean, it's just basically the story of his days on the boardwalk, you know, on the beach, and hanging out with a with a bunch of friends and a cast of characters and. It's you know it's a he he built a mythology about the boardwalk in Asbury Park and the beach no, the, about Jersey. I think that New Jersey really takes you know the hometown boy. They you know they Bruce is their guy because he kind of built this mythology about the Jersey Shore and the boardwalk and you know all these characters that lived there and loved there. And I think that's a, a, a fantastic pick. Also, you're you're knocking it out so far, man. All right, I appreciate Aaron. that. All right, Aaron, your turn. All right, so I'm going to get into Born in the USA. Uh, 
he wrote a ton of songs for this. He reversed himself from Nebraska. This time he's like, I'm going after it. I'm going to go for commercial success. I'm going to write these songs. The production's glossy on it. Um, but I'm going to pick one of the songs that were, is not one of the seven hits off it. And they're all one. I love the Born in the USA album. I love all, I love all the songs on it, honestly. But this particular song, it's called Downbound Train. And this this album, everybody know, it, it took Bruce from being like a successful and respected artist and just put him in the stratosphere. You know, one of the biggest acts in the world. It was like his. It was like his. Uh, um, uh, Joshua Tree. Yes, very very similar. But I've always been drawn to this particular song, and I think the reason why is it came from the Nebraska demos, and it's about a guy who lost his job and his woman, and he's haunted by his memories, and he's wallowing in despair. The music, though, it gets the full E Street Band treatment. It's not like, you know, a spare acoustic number like Nebraska, but it's really atmospheric and brooding. And this is another one of those. I, I listen to it in the right frame of mind. It really just gets to me. Born in the USA actually has a surprising variety of moods and textures, but it was totally designed to be the massive, massive success that it was. I mean, good for Bruce. I mean, he deserved it. I, I was really happy for him. And, but this song, I think, almost gets kind of slips through the cracks he does play it occasionally live, um, but this is another like deep track on a huge album that I, it just affects me. That's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, and you know, I, I would put that as definitely one of the best deep tracks on the album as well. And you know, where we where he was coming off of, uh, the river had some upbeat party moments. Um, think of Sherry Darling. Um, it definitely had the darkness on the edge of town. Just took it down. Like you said, it, it went a whole, the, he took everything down and he got dark. He got depressing. I feel like born in the USA, even though the song, I know it's not what people think it is, the lyrics to it, but it's still a very pump your fist. It's, it's a, a big anthem song, a big stadium song. A lot of songs on that record. You got dances in the, in the dark. You got these happy songs. How about training happy? Mm. <laughs> it's it's not happy and so it's funny you mentioned from the nebraska sessions because lyrically it fits in with that yes and and i think this is when this is many times where springsteen does a, a great job of selling that he makes you believe that when he's when he's done when he's done with that stadium show that he just played where he just made millions he's gonna go start washing cars um <laughs> It's just he's he's able to sell that maybe uh, maybe better than any singer songwriter's ever been able to do that mm. we know he's a millionaire living in a mansion, but man, you can't tell from his songs. It's yeah. like he, it's like he said recently, like I've never worked in a factory a day in my life, but he sings about people working in factories, and he yeah. hasn't either. He yeah. hasn't either. Yeah, that's another thing. He's he's a great storyteller. He he hasn't experienced everything that he writes about. But he's just able to connect and plug into that emotion, I think. So you can write the words about, hey, I was working in a factory. That doesn't mean anything. Hey, I worked in a factory. But when you put the words in and you can and you can emotionally connect to it, okay, now you've got something there. Now it means something. You know, his father worked in a factory. So he, he observed his father coming home and, and like you, I think you alluded to this, Chris, he would sit in the dark and light a cigarette and just he, was, he suffered from depression and stuff. Bruce tapped into that emotion. It wasn't that I worked in a factory. It's how that factory made me feel when I came back home. That's what Bruce does so well, even if he hasn't experienced exactly what he's singing about. 
And you brought something else up too. I'm I'm sorry, uh, Chris. That's okay. He's very good at disguising deep, uh, depressing downer lyrics in these songs that are uplit. The biggest one we we've talked a little bit, a little bit. Born in the USA. You listen to it on this album. It's this huge anthem. Born in the USA. You know what I mean? And even Ronald Reagan cribbed it for you know his political thing. The song is not about. It's not a patriotic jingo. It's about a Vietnam vet who is suffering <laughs> from crippling depression and events in his life. His life's gone to shit. But you don't pick that up because born in the USA, that chorus. So when you hear it acoustically, that emotion comes through. You understand, holy shit, it's a completely different song. Bruce is very good at that. He does that all throughout his career. He disguises the darker lyrics with these with this uplifting music hungry heart the first song i ever got into with with brew it's the same kind of thing the lyrics are not happy <laughs> they're, they're they're actually kind of depressing but he disguises it in this uplifting anthemic pump your fist music he's very very good at that all right yeah all right aaron what's your next one okay so now i'm gonna go move on to the next album i i a lot of these songs I'm picking are from, you know, his early, you know, the 70s and 80s. That's my bang zone with Bruce. I believe that's where his best material is. It's the material that I connect to the most. So that's where my list is going to heavily draw from. But Tunnel of Love is the album that came out after Born in the USA. So he's, he's huge. You know, everybody loves Bruce. Born in the USA. He scales it back again with Tunnel of Love. Another very, very personal album, mostly recorded by himself in a little home studio. He does have a couple members of the E Street Band come in to help him out with it but it's re- another small personal album it's referred to as his divorce album as his first marriage was falling apart and that the emotion of that is reflected in a lot of these songs so the song i'm picking is the biggest hit off the off the album it's called brilliant disguise um he wasn't in a good headspace and this song reflects his doubts about the relationship obviously it has to be about his marriage and his own but his his own part in it too you know he's conflicted he's unsure of what he really wants with tunnel of love the album i think there's a kind of a new maturity to the lyrics he's kind he's getting a little bit older he's like in his mid mid late 30s at this point and as he enters middle age you can feel like another shift in his writing like there's a sobering less dreamy quality to it though you know thankfully he never gives up his hope he always has a glimmer of that in his songs i really dig tunnel of love um, he could have easily made Born in the USA 2 and just cashed in, but that's not the path he went down. That that's not the, that's not what he feels as an artist. He makes the albums that he feels that he has to make at the time. And for me, this is a great track. It's a, it's a well known track. It was a hit for him, but uh, I again, it, it it's another downer track. But you you get kind of caught up in the music and it's catchy and uh, so yeah, brilliant disguise from 1987. I have that on my list. Um... And that record, you know, that one's a, a lot of times thought by people as his best album. Now, now, I can't even begin to think that way, but it's it's really, really good. And there are a lot of those songs. Like you said, the the, the breakup record, the, the divorce record, and Brilliant Disguise is just amazing. I mean, I, I love that song. I love hearing um, when he and Patty sing it together. Uh, she just adds uh, her her harmonies are so good. You know they they don't come out on record, but on his live performances, 
she adds so much to the performances. Yeah, I can't say a whole lot more about the song than what you already did. I would just say that that's another one when we keep talking about live, that there's another dynamic when Patty gets in it. And um, they they just the two of them together, they it, it's it's beautiful. Perfect. I have that in my top 10 as well. So I have at least two songs that you guys have. Good pick. Uh, <laughs> well, we're not going to laugh at you. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm not going to laugh at your list. And that stuff I co- that comes in because of the, I looked at yours, and I don't remember. We'll, we'll get it again, but I don't remember you having bad songs. Yeah, I can't um, imagine you picking something that I just go, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. yeah he didn't pick 57 channels. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, Chris, what's your next two? Um, I'm going to go with uh, – I'm going to – I'm going to go to Born in, in the USA, and I'm going to go with my favorite deep track, and uh, that's No Surrender. Um, this uh, this is another one that's just more of a the upbeat, almost kind of a, a, a party-type song. I, I've always you – know, I, I love the lyrics. I'm not exactly 100% sure everything he's, he's talking about. I mean, you would imagine, because of the lyrics he's talking about, not living with regret, but – the line that just I always love is right at the beginning when he says we learn more from a three minute record than we ever learned in school. And um, in some ways I get that. I mean, all the stuff that, that for music junkies like us. But uh, this one is one that I've really as I, I probably uh, said that when I was my the cassette I got as a kid. I probably never really even listened to that one because, you know, you'd, you'd want to hear. Uh, born in the USA, you'd want to hear Cover Me, you'd, you'd want to hear My Hometown, Dancing in the Dark. Uh, I don't want to hear Dancing in the Dark now. I want to hear No Surrender. I want to hear Downbound Train. Uh, this is one of my favorites off of, uh, you know, when, thing about the Born in the USA record too is it's, it feels like when an artist has their breakthrough album and it's such a monster, it's such a masterpiece, you're supposed to shit on it and say, you know, they sold out and it wasn't good can't do it it's a great great springsteen album just because i don't put it we keep all this talk is about darkness it's about born to run born in the usa is it's up there with his great records and uh, i don't think that gets said often enough yeah no surrender that's a it's a fan favorite it's one of those songs that when he plays it live the crowd really gets in you know his fans really really dig that one because he doesn't play it uh frequently so when it comes up in the set list, everybody gets gets on board with it. It's another one of those ones that has a huge anthemic sound to it. The drums are humongous on it, the Mighty Max. And basically it's, you know, the the theme of it is about sticking together. You can apply it, he, you can apply it to the E Street band, like standing together. Yeah, and, but he also makes it personal, like about, about this friend that he had, you know, way back when that, you know, but we're together. We, we, we're bonding over the music. Which is like a lot. Hey, some of us podcasters do. You know, I, I've made a lot of friends since I've started podcasting through the love of music. I wouldn't be here with you, fine gentlemen, if you know, if if we didn't, like you said, if we didn't share this love of music. And that's kind of what "No Surrender" means. It's like standing together. It it, it has like the military connotations too. Like you know, we're going to stand together and fight. You know, to the end. You know, we're we're all going to go down together. But it's also standing together in a common. Uh, you know, a common theme, a common uh, thing, a thing that you're all that, that binds you together and, and no surrender, a great anthemic song and another great pick. Chris, is this the song that Fallon did with him in like England? It is. Yeah. At Hyde Park. Uh, do you listen to the Gaslight Anthem? Have you listened to them, Aaron? 
I have not. Well, the Gaslight Anthem, and and I, I would, you know what? That's what we ought to do, and we'll talk about this. I'll, I'll get I'll get connected with you. We ought to do the Fifty Nine Sound by the Gaslight Anthem. And I say that not just because it's one of my favorite albums. I say it because I think you would really like it. And mm-hmm. that they're they were thought of as a they're no longer together. They were thought of as a punk band, but it I always put them as like it's the a clash. Fa- it's a fast version of Bruce Springsteen. The Clash meets Springsteen. Okay, let's put it that way. And um, I like the sound of that right away. And he is a huge. The singer is obsessed with Springsteen mm. and I heard him in an inter- interview one time. So he, he played at Hyde park. He supposedly Springsteen came backstage and he said he wanted to meet them. And he said, Hey, I really love you. Your guy, they had put out two albums at the time. He said, I really love your first, your, your two records. And he was just blown away. And he had, and he went on stage and sang a song with the gaslight anthem. And then later he invited Brian Fallon, the, the, the singer songwriter, the, to come out on stage and do a song with him. Well, Brick, Bruce picked No Surrender. And Fallon, I heard him in an interview, said, well, d- did you know the song? And he went, man, I know all his songs. He <laughs> said, I know the deep tracks. I know the, the B-sides, the bootlegs. Uh, he, and that is the type of fan he is. He's, he's a massive, massive fan and another great, great lyricist. But uh, right. yes, David, he did sing on, on that one. And when he comes in, he he just nails it. Great, great, great version of that song. All right, what's your next one, Chris? Uh, let me see. I had to. The phone went down. Let me bring it back up. Um, I already said brilliant describe brilliant disguise. Um, I'm gonna go with because we've already talked about it a lot. It's not a whole lot more to to really be said, but uh, we can talk a little bit. And that's that's Jungle Land. It's um. That sounds like an easy pick to make, you know, like, uh, oh, wow, you did you, you, you went deep on that one. <laughs> but but I, it's funny. I, I'll tell you a story here, Aaron, that I, I think as I was first getting into my my uh, Springsteen fandom, I, I, for, I remember I'd heard this song. I don't know where I'd recently heard. I wasn't real familiar with it because if you're not a, a fan of his, you're not going to hear this even on classic radio. Casual you're, fans don't know this song. You're not going to hear it. And I remember there's this little bar in new Orleans that I just love. And it has a, has a jukebox. It's, it's select music in it. Not a whole lot of stuff, but it does have, um, I I think it maybe has the born to run album in it. Anyway, I picked jungle land and they play the jukebox loud. And I remember sitting at the bar hearing this song and I really should cite that as one of my earliest memories of really falling in love with Springsteen. So this song will always mean something to me personally, just from the way that it hit me as I'm sitting there with a buddy and, you know, downing pints. Um, amazing song. The, the sax solo, like you said, maybe probably is Clarence's finest moment uh, with, with Roy, the piano work that he does. Uh, and it is, one of many songs, especially in the early, where he does these just long storytelling song ballads, I guess you could call it. But I, I've I've always loved Jungle Land. I never grow old of it, and that that's a special one to see live. Yeah, it really is. We we've talked about it a lot. So I don't. The only other thing I'd like to say about it is uh, it's the final song. It's a, it's the last track on Born in the on Born. I almost said Born in the USA. Born to Run. Um, <laughs> 
it uh it kind of it, it almost sums up everything that you've heard so far it's a bit like you said it's a big long uh, epic story song it it's filled with all these images of the city and the people who live in it and the people who die in it and it's just this epic epic dramatic thing and, and live bruce really gets into it you know what mm-hmm. i mean he, he he does all the hand gestures and he, and he moves you, know, you can you can you can tell that he's really feeling it when they perform this song and uh it it's it's almost the bridge for from his earlier long rambling songs off the first two albums to the his newer leaner style of songwriting that it, this is kind of like saying all right we i still do this but I'm going to be moving into something different now. And the, the sax solo is incredible. And I'm glad the piano work, because the piano work is almost as good as the sax work. The piano is just incredible in that. Roy Bitton, he he really knocked it out. Um, yeah, Jungle Land is just, it's a masterpiece. It's epic. Just shout out to the big man and the professor. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so by my count, each of you guys have four left. So I'm going to run through like six of mine real quick, and y'all can laugh mm-hmm. at me or make fun of me. Uh, my first one is Streets of Philadelphia. I, I love this song. You know that was a huge song in the '90s, uh, a really important movie in the '90s. Uh, it's so original with a na 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 just through the whole thing, and it has. I guess is that a drum loop he's singing over? Probably yes. more yeah. more. All right, it's it not, is. It, it is. Thank goodness, Aaron. It doesn't have a voice box in it. A top <laughs> box. <laughs> uh, Anyway, so Streets of Philadelphia, I really, really like that song. A, a matter of fact, I went to see the movie based on the song. So uh, I guess, you know, he did his part. All right, another one that I really love, Girls in Their Summer Clothes. This is what I think Spring, my limited knowledge of Springsteen does. He can really glamorize the your youth and songs of the youth and, and a setting like the boardwalk in Atlantic, you know, in... Uh, the on the Jersey Shore, which Brian Fallon, a Gaslight Anthem, just picks up that ball and runs with it. That's off uh, Girls in Their Summer Clothes. That's off Magic, right? Correct. Yes. All right. So the next one, I believe, is off Magic. You'll be coming down. Um, that's a that I, I actually bought that album when it came out. So that's why I, ha- I think I have so many on here. But you're right. It's just a good rock song. But um, you'll be coming down. You guys, do y'all like it? I love that song. I do too. Yep. Uh, I really, really like that song. That's that's an excellent pit. Yep. All right. So then I had Brilliant Disguise, which we've talked about, and The River, which we've talked about. Let's see. This would be my sixth one. Um, I know, like, casual, I mean, uh, hardcore fans are probably going to crap on this because it's uh, such a big song. But, man, Glory Days, that is such a fun, fun song. And it's kind of like, well, it's not necessarily fun. It's like you said, the chorus is big and fun. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's kind of depressing, uh, you know, about people that, you know, peaked in high school and, you know, their lives have taken this dramatic turn. But the first time I saw the whole, like, it's boss time thing was on the Super Bowl. And Bruce was like, hey, what time is it? And he's like, hey, Steve, we're going to get a delay of game. They're going to kick us out of here, you know. And he says boss time and, like, the whole stadium explodes with fireworks. You know, I just thought that was so much fun. Um, like you said, it's... It was an album, the only other album I can think of from, the only other two albums from the 80s that I can think of that put out that many hits was Michael Jackson's um, a Thriller and Def Leppard's Hysteria. And, you know, Mutt Lang, when they were recording Hysteria, said, we're going to record the hard rock version 
of um, Thriller. Every song can potentially be a single. And I, I, like you said, when he said he was going to do a popular album, he went all in. Because theoretically, every song on there is good enough to be a single. Um, so, yeah, I, I've always liked uh, Glory Days a ton. You're not going to hear me crap on it. For I mean, I, I like the song myself. I, I yep. That's one, if it comes on, yeah, it's a hit. If it comes on, I'm not turning it. I'm turning it up. Me too. And so, you picked up on it good, David. Uh, you know, it's 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 not about, you know, be, it's another one of his disguise songs. You know what I mean? It it's, sounds really upbeat and poppy, but it's about, you know, living in the past. And not very good. <laughs> you it's, know, not it's, very happy. it's funny when you have these songs that are big hits by anybody that sound, you know, like the one, one of the ones that comes to play for me is Blind Melon's No Rain. All right. It wasn't until I started reading a book on Shannon Hoon that I, that's really, that's a dark, dark, dark song. There's nothing happy about, you know, uh, about it. You know, a lot of bands do that kind of stuff. I've always found that kind of thing interesting. All right, Aaron, by my count, you've got four left. What are your, what are your next two? Okay. So now I'm going to jump ahead quite a bit. Um, after the Tunnel of Love Express tour for the, for after Tunnel of Love, Bruce Fierce Street Band. And then over the next 10 years or so, he puts out records that are pretty spotty. Even Chris mentioned like, his 90s output is very up and down. It's for me, it's the weakest material of his career. And though he went on successful tours, he put a new band together. It just didn't have the same magic as E Street Band. It's Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I mean, I know we're talking about Bruce and he is the writer. He's the focal point. It's his music. But that E Street Band is so, so important to the sound. Uh, well, finally, in 1999, the fans got their wish. They got the massive E Street reunion. It lived up to the legend. Everybody was all happy again. Then, can we swear on this show? Yeah. Then fucking 9-11 happens. <laughs> and the story goes that shortly after that huge event, some random guy like spotted, he was like, in his car or something. He spots Bruce. He rolls down his car window and he says to him, says to Bruce, we need you now. And apparently he took this to heart and he wrote the rising album, which it's got the ghost and the aftermath of nine 11 all over it. It was the first studio album rec recorded with the E street band after the reunion. It was the first E street album, I think in 18 years or something like that. The album, as a whole, the album as a whole, it's really powerful. It's very emotionally charged. And the song I picked off of it is not one of the more well-known hits. Again, this is, it's called empty sky. This song kind of exemplifies all the sorrow and loss that the country felt after that day while making it personal for the people who lost their loved ones on that day. It's got a mournful harmonica on it. It's subdued, but it just hits hard. You know, empty sky. I woke up this morning to an empty sky. It's just a, it's an emotional song and an emotional album. And it's, it's one of those ones that just touches me. I, I'm a I'm a big fan too, and, and you know the the um what you said I didn't know that about the that supposedly somebody had said we need you um that's if that story is really tr true that's that's amazing but yeah I, and I do like this album I do feel it's a he very heavy album a uh, lot of emotion in it but yeah good, that's that's a good pick that that yeah that album to me, really kind of put him in my line of sight, so to speak, 
when that came out. All right, Aaron, what's your next one? All right, I'm going to skip ahead to 2007, the album Magic. We've talked about this. Uh, it's probably my favorite post-2000s album. I, I, well, it is. I'm not even going to be around the bush. It is. So after The Rising, Bruce continues to release albums solo and with Lee Street. Uh, this sounds like a classic Bruce album. You know, it's got the E Street band. It's got the, uh, the the variety of moods and the subject matter. And it reflects, although it does reflect some of Bruce's politics, which is something that he starts to incorporate more into his work uh, and his feelings about the war in Iraq, which was happening at the time. And this, uh, the track I picked is Devil's Arcade. It's the, well, it's, it's the final track on the record. There's actually a hidden track at the very end, but it's the final track on the albums. And uh, it's about a woman who's missing her soldier partner. He's off fighting in the Iraqi desert and it touches on the longing and anxiety. And Bruce sings in like this hushed voice. And again, he just shows how he can tap into emotional richness. It has these strings that kind of heighten the dramatics in this, you know, it, it, in this song. It's like a slow burner, just more powerful stuff. I really like this one, too. Yeah, that's a that's definitely a um, that's your, your your deep cut pick of the night for sure. You know, yeah, that, that was that was the one that more than any, not because I dislike it because I don't. It's, it's a good song. That was the one more than any that was like, oh. Okay. Where'd you come yeah. up with that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that one did surprise me. All right, so I'm going to cut in here because uh, you're talking about The Rising. I do have two songs off The Rising. Uh, the title track, um, obviously it's about 9-11, the firefighters, the first responders, um, you know, that, that obviously went to the World Trade Center. Um, I've always thought this was a very, very powerful song, and for the music nerds and us, there's a part of it that I just, I love the, the guitar solo that Bruce does. It's very kind of disjointed. It almost sounds like Neil Young with some of his electric stuff, the, the, the way he plays, it's just kind of a disjointed solo and he's just wearing, you know, the, the, the whammy bar out onto it. But when they come out of that and they go into, I mean, I'm going to read the lyrics when they come in, he starts singing and then, little Stephen chimes in with him and it's just such a beautiful harmony when he's like spirits above and behind me faces gone black eyes burning bright may their precious blood forever bind me lord as i stand before your fiery light and when they come out of that solo and go into that this is a little nerd thing max weinberg is is driving the train on this one with the tempo and he has these like two or three just drum feels coming into that that to me just for whatever reason it always sticks out to me and I love watching videos of this because when they get to this verse, Stephen always comes. Well, Stephen always comes and sings at the microphone with him. Um, to me, it's a very, very powerful and emotional song. Especially, you know, we all lived through 9/11 and watched it all happen live. And then you you see him like I think he played it on like the Grammys and stuff like that. It was a huge hit for him. And I just it's it's a, such a powerful song. It is. I really like that one too. And it it's another one where he's got as powerful as it is and as emotionally deep that it touches you. He also has that la, 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 that he can get the crowd is going to sing it with him. It's a song that they frequently play live. They play it almost at every show since they've put it out. It's another anthemic thing where the whole crowd can join in on it and tap into the emotion too. So yeah, no, great, great song. Yeah. Both of the, both Lonesome Day and the Rising have kind of stood the test. Those are the ones that he, he does go to those, routinely and yeah 
Excellent. I mean, I, like I said, I'm, I'm a, I am a fan of the record. I, I put Magic a little above, but no, it's a good choice. See, see David, you're not doing bad. <laughs> well, yeah, it, but, <laughs> but like you said, it's it's a heavy it's a heavy song, but there's some optimism. Basically, the guys come to peace. This is what I was born to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm about to meet my maker, but I'm going to meet my maker doing doing my job and saving people. And ultimately, there's redemption in that. Uh, which I think is really cool. The other song I had off there. Redemption is a huge theme in Springsteen's work. Huge. Yeah. It's all over his career. The the other one that I'm going to have from there is uh, Lonesome Day. Y'all had mentioned it. Um, this is another one that sounds kind of happy and, you know, um, up-tempo, but uh, it, was a, it was a hit for him as well. From my perspective... A lot of his albums post like 95 or whatever seem to kind of have like one quote unquote hit song that is released and is played on the radio. But The Rising has two. And I like the I like Lonesome Day a lot as well. Yeah, love I, I love that song. And one thing that always stands out for me with that is is that first show that I saw talking about at Giant Stadium. And seeing Springsteen and and uh Van Zant sharing the mic and towards the end of the song and, and you, you hear just Stevie's going in the background the whole time. It, I love the way they do that together on that song, that live yeah. performance. Yeah. They do that in Badlands too. And after the solo. Yeah. They, yeah. I love it. Yeah, when you're both, right. I love it when they both stand together at the mic and, and harmonize. It's, it's like a ragged heart. It's like Mick and Keith harmonizing, you know what it I mean? Is. And it's, it's really great. All right, Chris, what's your next two? Well, I'm going to, and I think I have, I think I have, because we shared a few of the songs, I think I just have three. Um, okay. I can run through them. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with my, since I'm going to follow up with what is my biggest, you know, out of left field pick. And again, going to darkness, but I picked Factory. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that anybody else doing a Bruce show is going to pick Factory, but I, I don't know. I, I And it, it's, it's, it's another down and out song. And, you know, we talked earlier about he never worked in a factory. Well, and we talked about singing about factories. Well, there's no other, better example of writing about working in a factory than a song called Factory. <laughs> uh, but, but I've just always loved this song. Uh, it's one of my favorites off, off Darkness for sure. Um, and obviously I'm picking it as one of my favorite Springsteen songs. And it's towards the end of my list. So a lot of these are inter- interchangeable. I could, I could, without much trouble, knock this one off and put something else in. But it is, I would say, a very important song to me in, in the in the Springsteen vault. I, I, it, yeah. I love Factory, too. And uh, like we've been saying, his disguise songs, this is not that. It's it's somber and a downer. So it, it sounds exactly what he's mm-hmm. singing about. You know, the work... The work, you know, it's based, it's based on his father, him watching his father trudge off to the factory and then early in the morning. Home. Yep. Uh, yeah. And then it, it totally it, the music reflects the emotion. And it's yeah, it, it, that is a deep that. It, yeah, you're right. That is your deepest pick. And it's so, a good one. Yeah. So let me follow my my deepest pick with my most obvious. You talked about a lot of people probably so will say they hate this song, don't like it. I love Borden to Run. I think it's one of the most important, best rock songs in, I'd say, in radio, popular radio history. 
it, it's uh, there's a reason Watts still played this. Th- it, it is his defining song. No matter uh, no matter if we put how much we love how much we love Thunder Road and it's great, whatever. Born to Run, it's it's his song. It, it I feel like it's the song that made him. It's the most important one he ever did. Absolutely, it's his most important. It's his greatest song. It's the one. It, it, the ones. If if you ask somebody really is vaguely familiar with Springsteen, with the Bruce Springsteen song, I would think that you're going to say "Born to Run." Everybody knows that song, but it's for good reason. It works. You know, everything. The East Street. Well, the East Street Band actually actually doesn't even have, Max doesn't play on it, but. The East Street Band is on fire. Bruce wrote it to be uh, the greatest rock and roll record of all time. I read that somewhere that he said that that's what he was attempting to do with it. And then he damn near succeeded. It just, you know, it, it fits all his themes of escape, getting out. The The lyrics are extremely memorable. And I think even the state of New Jersey once wanted to make it like their national, their, like national, their, their, mm-hmm. the, the theme song for their state. But when they, they analyzed it lyrically, they're like, oh, wait a minute, no. <laughs> this isn't going to work. <laughs> Suicide yeah. machines and shit. No, no, we're not doing that. Not to mention, but, uh, we're talking about leaving. The yeah. State. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's absolutely a, a lasting legacy for them. Well, David, I'll go, I, I guess I'll, I'll just go ahead and wrap my last one while we're doing it and, and we'll, we'll get back to both of y'all's list. But, I did another one that I would say is is a um, a deep cut, and I'm gonna go with one that was never on an album. I'm going with "My Love Will Not Let You Down," uh, and this you can find this one for people who are unfamiliar. You can find this off tracks, the um, four disc collection he put out, and this is Aaron. Well, you're gonna have to help me on this one because I can't remember which album this was a B-side for, which believe, sessions this was. I, I want to say it was uh, the River. That's what. That's my guess. Is the yeah. river. if it's I'm not, it's going to be born in the USA. But I think yeah. it is the river. Yeah, I think so. But if I if I'm wrong, the Springsteen fans will skewer me. That 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 that's that's fine. <laughs> and, and it's um, yeah, this is one that where we've talked about all the the depth of his lyricism and talking about the down and out, the disenfranchised. This isn't really that, you know. Um, just. Follow, follow the follow the lyrics. I mean, the the name of the song, and and you you got, you got it. Yep. Sometimes Bruce just wants to rock out and feel the power of rock and roll, man. That's 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 what he does. That's a, and uh, that's a, a great. It's funny. Uh, the one show that I saw, they opened with that song. They opened with "My Love Will Let You." And I went, "Holy shit!" You know, what I mean, like, I <laughs> oh, went, that, wow, that's amazing. Up. Yeah, I, I haven't had a moment <laughs> quite like that at a Springsteen show where there's one that just completely shocks you. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. And I was just like, wow, this is incredible. That box set tracks is incredible, too. Amazing, amazing collection. All these out that like we've been talking. He wrote so many songs that he didn't put on his album and he just had it stockpiled. And he put out a big group of it on a, over a four disc box set. Just tremendous. A lot of it, you know, from all eras of his career. Fantastic, and that that is a great song. His, his, th- his throwaways, his throwaways, would be for most artists. It would be I can't even imagine how great their catalog, their catalog would be if it was just his throwaways. Yep. His throwaways is a spectacular, you know, catalog of music. Isn't that, isn't that frustrating when bands do that? The Crows are notorious for that. Keith Richards once told Rich Robinson, "You write you you leave songs off albums that we would release as singles." 
Mm. Uh, you know, that's just, but I guess, you know, it's, it's all in the artist eyes. Um, yep. you know, what they want to Bob do. Dylan, Neil Young, all these guys, they had stuff in their archive. You, what, why on earth did you not put this out? Yeah. And there's certain yeah. ones like we talked about. I think it's rendezvous that, that a little Steven oh, yeah. screams about constantly that yep. you know, he always wants to play it live. And I think really fought for that one on the record, but. Randy, it was a great song. <laughs> yeah, there, there's so many of them. So many of them. All right, before we get to Aaron's final two, we'll do my final two. Uh, we've talked about the album "Born in the USA" a lot. Um, when you, th- when I think of like the albums that changed music in the '80s, I go to "Purple Rain," I go to "Like a Virgin," I go to "Born in the USA," I go to "Slippery When Wet," uh, "Joshua Tree," and probably "Appetite for Destruction." Uh, those to me were kind of the genre defining albums of their time. And like you said, there were seven singles on born in the USA. One of them is my hometown. This song is as simple as it comes. It's sung with so much emotion. Um, you know, he's always been proud of being from New Jersey and obviously Aaron, you know, Chris and I live in the South and, uh, kind of my, stereotype of new jersey is they always feel like the little stepbrother uh you know and you know you you watch tv new york you, yeah, yeah. you'll see people in new york yeah. it's kind of like in the in the in the south we get picked on a lot sometimes we deserve it sometimes we don't but what you'll find a lot of times in people in the south is a pride from being there and i feel like he he emotes that so well uh about he's you know he's never shied away from the fact he's from south jersey you know and he's always been proud of it and you know, in a lot of ways, from what I understand, like has really helped like the Asbury Park scene and stuff like that, you know, over the years. So anyway, it's really cool to hear him sing this. And it's just a very subdued song. But man, it, emotionally, it packs a huge punch. Well, David, this could have made my top 10. Um, I actually had this that I had when I had God knows how many on 30 songs, whatever. It was definitely on there. And it wasn't one of the first cuts. I, I'll tell you that it was it was a late cut. I love it. I've always loved the song, but but I already told you part of the seeing it. And, and you don't have to just listen to me talk about seeing him perform it live. Go watch the uh, live on Broadway on Netflix. Watch him play it on that. Listen to him talk about it. Uh, you'll almost cry. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 a great song. Excellent, excellent pick. Uh, totally agreed. It, it's the closer on Born in the USA. And like you said, it's a it's a somber, yeah, a subdued closer. But like it, it, the emotional punches just just hits you right in the gut. Uh, yeah, it, it could have it made my list. A lot of, well, so many songs could have, but that could have. <laughs> All right. So my last one is Radio Nowhere off of Magic. And, uh, you know, about this time, it the writing started. Well, the writing had been on the wall for a little bit with music being free people streaming it you know radiohead put out in rainbows and just said people pay what you want to pay and you really had iHeartRadio radio just taking over the airwaves and so like you know you just get the same songs over and over again the uh, djs were being let go uh, tom petty put out an entire album about it called the last dj uh you know and he sings you know i'm listening to the last dj that's ever going to play and you know, just a really angry record toward the music industry. And Bruce Springsteen does this on Radio Nowhere, but he does it in a way that's upbeat sounding. And, you know, if you're not really paying attention to the lyrics, you know, you can really get a different meaning for it. Um, one of the song, one of the things I love about this song is the video 
It's in Europe. They play it, and Jay Weinberg, who's in Slipknot now, plays the drums on it. And he beats the drums like they owe him money. I mean, just, at, and at one point, you know, that part, you know, I was, I want to hear pounding drums, you know, and I mean, he had just, I don't know how the drums withstood it. Cause I mean, he is just, you know, trying to punch right through them. And at the end, when they're, when they're trying to close it up and he's doing the drum roll and everything, you can just see like Bruce Springsteen is enjoying it and thinks it's so much fun, you know, and they get done and Max walks up and hugs him and, you know, picks up and plays, but one of the interesting interesting stories I've heard is the one of the things that got him into Slipknot they played on the Conan O'Brien show, and Max, I guess, got to know him somewhat, and and at one point it's like, hey, you want to go to a Slipknot show? And so you don't think of Max Weinberg and Slipknot. I mean that anyway. Uh, so I, I'm happy for him. You know, he's with Slipknot. Obviously, he's an amazing drummer. But Radio Nowhere is such a good song. Yeah, and you know it's funny about Max too. It, uh, talking about uh, Jay Jay Weinberg, yeah, he hits hard. He, people people know that he's in Slipknot now. People forget that dude played in Madball. Um, that that's some that's that's as hardcore as hardcore gets. And uh, yeah, he hits. But this song, I really like this song, and you can put this song as one of the most rocking songs that he's ever recorded. And he did it in what two thousand eight. Yeah. And it's one of the biggest rock songs that he's ever put down, in my opinion. Yeah, Jay really earned his way onto Slipknot. You're right. Um, but Radio Nowhere, I love I love the lyrics to it. You know, he's bemoaning the fact of satellite radio and, every, uh, you know, radio, radio. When you listen to the radio now, it's all programmed. There's no. Is there anybody alive out there? Where are the human beings? Is it, is it, is it ironic? He has a channel on. Yeah, satellite yeah. Radio. <laughs> that, that is funny. That's right. Yeah, but yeah, no, no, another great pick. Everybody's picking great stuff. All right, Aaron, you're our guest, so we're going to let you close it out with your final two songs. Okay, so now I'm going to skip ahead a couple more years after Magic uh, to the Working on a Dream album. Now, this is an album I really don't care for. It's not one of my favorites. There's a lot of, to me, there's a, a little, some of the music on this sounds tired. Uh, there's a song on it. The, the opening track is Outlaw Pete, which is supposed to be this big, long opening up, and it's just goofy. It's a big, long, epic opener that I just don't like. A lot of tracks on this just feel eh to me. It's, what, it's how I mostly feel. Except for, like, the last two. And the very last track, technically it's a bonus track. It's called The Wrestler. Um, so he seemed to be inspired by the events that were going on in America. And he was, he, but he was, he seemed to be having more optimism. He was campaigning for Barack Obama. This, the record seemed to be a reaction to Obama winning the presidency, except for this song, uh, because it was written and released prior on the soundtrack to the film, the wrestler. I don't know if anybody's seen that starring Mickey Rourke. Great movie. Yeah, it is. And apparently Rourke himself contacted Bruce and asked him to contribute a track to the, to the soundtrack so Bruce wrote this and just gave it to him for free. Did, didn't pay him or anything. It's acoustic. It's folky. It's it's Nebraska-ish, not quite. But Bruce's voice now, it's showing his age. But it really works in this context about, you know, an aging professional, res- professional wrestler who's lived a tough life. His, ba- his body's battered, broken, but he still maintains a quiet dignity. He's chosen this life. His spirit won't be broken. This is, this is what he does. And I think that's what Bruce is doing, too. This is... 
he he's a musician. He writes songs. He plays songs. This is what he does. His voice has gotten a little craggier. You know, I, I you know he's well, he's seventies now, right? Seventy one, yeah. something like that. You know, but it's still showing that Bruce still has it in him. He can he can rise up and pull it out of him when he needs to. I think it won a I think the song won a Golden Globe award. Is this one of my like a top ten favorite Bruce? No, it's not. But I think for a latter day Springsteen cut, it it works very very well. Yeah, and I like that song too. And there is a lot of this definitely goes back to the '90s as far as overall material. You know, as far as this the '90s material in this album, I'm not a huge fans of. But I do like that song. Uh, I do really like. Um, I like my lucky day a, a lot. The Queen of the Supermarket. It's got some songs, but but I do agree with you. Uh, overall, pretty weak album, but that that's a that is a good one of the uh, shining moments of that album. All right, so you said you know you thought that the album was in response to Barack Obama being elected. Do you think that is a good indicator that it's easier to write from fear, sadness, and heartache than it is from being happy? That's a really good question. My the answer that my my gut reaction to that is I've dabbled, I'm not a musician, but I've dabbled in lyric writing and music writing. You know, I, I have a musical uh, sense, I, I guess. So I've written music before and lyrics. I feel like I write my better stuff where with, with there's more pain, uh, more emotion. I, I, you know, if I'm writing this happy stuff, hey, flowers and, and candy and I love the girl, that's fine. That, that's completely valid. I have no problem with that. But I think that there's a little bit less of me in that. And I, I think I feel the same way with, with Bruce. When he's writing just happy stuff about happy times, he does it well. But I don't connect to it emotionally like I do when he's writing from a place of pain or anger or sadness. It's like a band that I love now, American Aquarium. They had this lyric in their song. It, it says, he says, we, he says, baby, why do you sing all them, them sad songs? And he says, he said something. He said, sad songs. They make me happy. Yeah, sad songs, they make me happy. That's what he says. And they made a t-shirt that says sad songs make me happy. I say that because, yeah. I, yeah. I know that sounds weird to people that aren't into music on the level we are, but there's something about the the darker, the sadder, the less happy. There's something about it. And I'm like, you, I love a pump your fist in the air, just happy song. But so the, the the ones that aren't as happy, they just seem to uh, they pull you in a little bit more. They hook yeah. you in a little bit more. They get, they get you on an emotional level. Hit you you in feel the them more. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Aaron, what's your last one? Okay, so speaking of feeling it more, I'm, we actually have gone through my, my main list, but I, I did have a couple of songs that I'd pulled. Okay. With it. So let's go back to Darkness on the Edge of Town one more time. We've done it, I think, the most. I think it's the album we've drawn the most for. Uh, to the second track, Adam Ray's Decane. And you were talking about the solo on uh, The Rising, how it's like noisy and stuff. Holy moly, this one comes out. It's just this blur of noise. Bruce is like, he's strumming his guitar really, really fast. It comes on. It's a heavy, hard rocking song. One, another one of his the hardest rocking songs he's ever done in his career. And the song is, again, it's about his tempestuous relationship with his father and filtered through the biblical story of you know Cain and Cain and Abel, you know Cain murdered his his brother Abel, and his voice really rises like he he starts yelling yeah, Cain through Abel. He's he's re he's screaming hoarsely. The lyrics later on, it's just powerful, and the re rest of the band 
feels like they're feeding on it too because they're like, Adam, raise the cane. Adam, raise the cane. That's basically what the chorus is. So this works for me as a rock song. It gets me pumped up, but it also hits me in the gut because, it, again, with the relationship to the father and the lyrically, it affects me too. So uh, this is a song I wish, I don't think they play this very often. I wish they'd play it a little bit more. But I mean, darkness is so loaded, you know, that, that they can play just about anything off of that one. But yeah, Adam raised the cane, love it. That's a pissed off song too. Oh yeah. And I, I will say just like quick diversion too, as we, we, we talk about, uh, we talk about like the, the, the relationship he had with his father and all too. One thing that is, is, uh, is completely off topic, but one thing that really gets me is the, um, when he, he does a song about, about his, his, his father on, on, um, on the Netflix special on, you know, on Broadway. Have you seen it, David? Yes. I was going to say, there's nothing, one thing that gets me and really hits me is I've never seen somebody describe their admiration for their dad on the level that he does on that. When he says that he has this dream, you know, he dreams about his dad. This is a recurring dream. He said, I go and I'm on the stage. And I go back and my dad's watching the stage and I kneel down beside him and I tell him, see the way they see him, see the way they watch that. That's how I see you. And I guess I don't know if I, I mean, I get chills when I say it because I don't know if I've ever heard anybody describe it in a, again, it goes to that music nerd that we are. It, it, it's like, man, that that's a hell of a way to describe it. Absolutely. That, that, that's perfect. Do you have any more, Aaron? I think we've basically covered all the, like, I also had Independence Day, but we've, we've touched on that mm -hmm. too. So yeah, I think we've covered all the ones that I, that I pulled out. Yep. And, and I do, as we kind of wrap up, I wanted to mention too, the, um, we, we talked about how we're, we're really impressed with the, the new record letter to you and yeah, great documentary too. Great documentary. And yep. I tell, I've told David this, I've told a friend of mine this, it's into the album. It, it's, uh, the first time I listened to it, and this feeling hasn't gone away, it remains. You ask me, like, if you ask me, what's your opinion of this album? What do you think about it? It's the first time I think I've ever really said this about a Springsteen album. It made me sad. Mm. Um, and it's from the opening cut, especially that opening track, and the last one, and it, most of the stuff in between. And it it is dealing a lot with mortality. Um, and... I listen to it and I know that Clarence is gone. I listen to it. I know that Federici's gone and it makes you wonder darkly. And I hate that I do, but who, when's the next one going to go? How much longer is this going to, going to last? Is there, will they be able to put out another record? Um, those are kind of the thoughts I had and no other album he's put out has ever made me think that way. But again, it's probably part of what makes me love it so much. Yeah. Um, and I just think it was when I first listened to it, I thought it was pretty good. And now I'm blown away by it. I think it's such a good record. I'm the same way. Um, I, I'm going to piggyback a little bit on what you said. There's a like he has like these darker albums that he has. And this kind of has it, it balances that you, you feel there's some uplifting like yeah, feel good moments, but there's also like this heaviness over it. Heaviness emotionally, not yes. sonically. 
he's looking back on a lot of the songs. He's 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 thinking about more Ted. Like we said, he's seventy something now. You know, I mean, he's he's seen a couple of his friends pass away. He knows that he doesn't have. He's got a lot less time left than he than he did. You know, he's he's he, he, there's got a lot less time now than than he did before. So that you feel that there's this heaviness over the whole album that you go, oh wow, like that. The, the, one of the songs now is Ghosts, and it's it's haunting. You know, a lot a lot of these tracks feel like that. They're, they're like haunt. Like when it was done, I went, oh wow. <laughs> that, that's kind of how I felt when it felt. I wasn't like, oh, what a great album. It was. It was. Oh man, I was like, wow. Same here. Ooh. Yeah. And the more I've listened to it now, the, the, I still feel that. Ooh. But it's like, fant- wow, it's perfect. It's, you know, it, it's, it's what this man at this stage in his life, he's done it all. There's, what else does he have to say? He still has more to say. Even at the, you know, even as we're, we're winding down to the end of a career or, or the end of a life, he still has more to say and it's still important. And when you see him at the end and, and they're playing the, the they're, they're playing, all in the studio, they're all in that house together where they recorded, playing I'll See You In My Dreams and Landau's just bawling like a baby. Um, and it's like, I, I mean, I listened to that after I'd already reached a conclusion. This album just makes me sad. Yeah. And sure enough, I hear I hear his longtime you know, collaborator. I see him can barely get through it, through yep. listening to it. And um, it's just but it's it's some, sadness. It doesn't drive me away from it, though, too. It's no. funny because you, you, you feel the sadness and you're like, oh, man, I feel terrible. I feel bad after listening to this, but it's still like, I want that. I, I want, you know, give me more. It's hard to explain, but because it, it just, it just touches you. And I, I, I want to hear more of this, you know, keep, I want to listen to this record again after I'm done listening to it, you know? So me too. I guess that that's, yeah, that's the best thing you can say about an artist's work. When that, when that record stops playing, you want to flip the turntable over, put it on again, or hit the play button on your, on your MP3 player or whatever it is that you're listening to music to. I think that that's a great testament to that. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. I've had fun kind of just sitting around listening to you guys talk. I always like watching Chris geek out over something like this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do think uh, you guys doing the 59 Sound by Gaslight Anthem is a no-brainer. Uh, if you like Bruce Springsteen, there's no way you're not going to like Gaslight Anthem. All right. Uh, I mean, they're just two peas in a pot. He's just an extension of Bruce. It's like his son, uh, you know, writing music. Um, yeah. Aaron, like many thanks. Uh, we hope uh, you continue to recover from the COVID. And uh, Chris and I both have had our vaccines. Chris has had his second one. I get my second shot in a in a couple of days. So hopefully we're going to put all that past us. But uh, tell her, tell everybody again where they can find your podcast. I will do that. But before I do that, I just want to say, fellas, I really, really appreciate this. Uh, I'm obviously we, you know, I'm a huge Springsteen fan. I don't have a lot of friends who are into the boss. This very rarely do I get to talk about Bruce Mm. like I have on this podcast today. I really thank you. This was really great. I had such a great time and I I really appreciate it. I just wanted you guys to know that. Uh, Same here. And thank you for doing it because I, I, like David said, he's going to watch, see me geek out and uh, reliving, reliving live concert moments, thinking about these lyrics, thinking about, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a fun one. Yeah. So ridiculous rock record reviews. We also call it the R four podcast. You can find it at any any place you get you get your pod. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, we're probably there. We just each week we or each or each other, every other week we just we take a pick an album and review it. That's basically what it is. It's just an album review show. We try to have fun with it, joke around a little bit. You know, it's it's uh and if any of your listeners check us out and are interested, they, they can reach out to us. Um, can I get my email? Yeah, yeah. 
uh, ridiculousrockrecords at gmail.com. If there's an album you'd like to come on the podcast and review, uh, let us know and we'll we'll try to set it up. We're pretty booked up for 2021, uh, honestly, because we've cut back on the number of episodes. But, uh, you know, we'll, reach out to us. We'll try to fit it in. Yeah, like I said, it's it's uh it's it's required listening. It's one of my favorite podcasts out there. And Thank you. uh he has uh, some returning guests and sometimes he has guests that are on there for the first time. Uh so I, I just really, really recommend it. Uh, I love the diversity of it. And like I said, you approach it like a music critic and uh it's a really, really interesting take that you guys have the way you do it. So a lot of times kinda of you take the emotion out of it at times and like if it's an album you really love, you can tell like you're trying to be objective, you know, and then sometimes mm. the emotion gets in there and, you know, and takes hold. All but, those kiss albums we do, you know what I mean? I try to try to keep it, try to keep it subjective. <laughs> I, I try to keep it objective. You, sh- you should have me and Chiss on there to do a kiss yes. album. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. Anyway, uh, a big thanks to Aaron. And uh, as always, it's always fun to talk music with my buddy, Chris, and uh, we'll be back with you sooner rather than later. Take care, everybody.